Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Closing out the month of February with a bang. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show here, Thursday, February the 28th. And Mike, man, it's crazy with the way the NBA news cycle is nowadays. There's always something coming up. But with the baseball free agency and the way it's just lagged and lagged and lagged and lagged, now we've had some big baseball news uh, in some of our recent shows. Tell the folks what we're talking about. What was the big baseball news today? Well, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I thought you were going to talk about Witten, about Bob Kraft, about Kyler Murray. Oh, you're no, you talking did. about that mega deal for Bryce Harper, $330 million over wow. 13 years. And here's the really funny thing to me. I think what happened was Boris overestimated the interest in Harper. Because right. if you remember, Gino, right at the end of the year, word got out. I believe Harper himself actually acknowledged that the Nationals had offered him 10 years for $300 million. Yeah. So that tells me, so you're telling me three years, the final three years are $10 million a piece, if you compare it to yeah. that one. You know what I mean? So 13 for 330 you know, or 10 for 300 doesn't make any sense I mean, unless you misgauge the interest. Right? Yeah, so and then when it took so long, you had a lot of teams that kind of came into the fold like, well, hey, maybe we could get them for five or seven years. I suspect that's where L.A. and San Francisco were, right? Yeah, because uh, I, I would have, as a Dodger fan, or even even as a an owner myself, if I had, if it was my money that I'm trying to spend, I would say, hey, let's overpay him on a shorter contract if he's willing to do that. And that's, I think, the the um, the angle the Dodgers were coming from. Hey, let we'll give you like two hundred million dollars for five years, you know, something like that. I think is is what they were trying to say. And he he liked L.A. You know, he wanted to. It sounds like from what, what they were reading, like he wanted to maybe even come back in L.A. I mean, we live out here, right? It's not, it's not bad. It's not bad, especially... No, like, and he's a West Coast guy, he's right? He's a West so, Coast I mean, guy, and the thing, the funny report came out that said he's a Lakers fan. You know, I find yeah. those things really hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, so I... I um, I wouldn't... As a fan of the Dodgers, I'm not upset that the Dodgers didn't get him for if that's the deal that got him. Because, like you're saying, if those extra few years and just the guarantee kind of... of of no opt-outs on either side, just like I'm parked as a Philly and I don't have to really worry about anything now for the next 13 years. I think they both have some comfort, although it makes me nervous. I wouldn't want to be locked onto anyone for that that long, but he's a little younger than some of the, the guys that we see sign these kind of contracts, Mike. So that that's the thing. There, there are plenty of positives, plenty of negatives, but as we talk to uh, one of our good buddies who listens to the show a lot, Joe, who's a big Philly fan, Philly is not, San Diego Padres. If you're not winning, they're gonna let you know. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah, those bluebirds come out in full force, my man. Santa in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh yeah. So I mean, no, but I agree with everything that you're saying. To me, the thing that is a little bit interesting, though, is in terms of the opt outs. If I'm a player, or if I am an agent, as an agent, I would, especially in baseball, because you have guaranteed contracts. I would want to explore what my market value or my client's market value is after year six and seven, because 13 years from now, 
You people are going to be like, I can't believe that he signed for 330 because by then, what are we going to be at, $500 million? Well, things change just a lot in five years. Yeah. I mean, just everything changes. So I would, wanna like opt, the, I would want to have the, the right I really agree. Out. But, okay. but I understand Philly's perspective. I do too. And by the way, there's been kind of rumors as to like which one wanted it. Was it Philly or what was it? Maybe – Maybe it's a tiny bit from Harper, just in terms of like, I want to know trade clause. I don't know I'm going to be here for the rest of my career, that type of thing. But it's a huge advantage for Philadelphia because sure. if he performs the way he's supposed to perform, by years seven, eight, nine, they're getting a bargain. People yeah. are going to be like, dude, he signed for $24.5 million per year. I agree. It, so it's, yeah, I, I think this is, one, I mean, and, and it, it's it's really, it's so hard to, to gauge, like, we, we jump on these deals early on now because we've seen most of these big ones don't work, but it, it is, you you do have to take each deal into account as a single individual entity, right? And no matter what, this one could work out, and I think I would prefer this one over the Machado deal myself, just in that I think you have a little more upside, I think he sells a little more tickets for you, I think he's a, big, a little bit bigger of a name for you, Um so for me, I I would prefer this one over the Machado one. But like I said, if I'm dealing right now, I'm trying to make those deals where I say, hey, I'll overpay you. I'll pay you 40, 40 million, 40 plus million a year if you want for four or five years. And, and Let me you tell know. you something really quickly. It's kind of funny. So I'm sure you heard this as well, too. They were like one of the things that goes into his decision making process was the ballpark that he's in. Obviously, you don't sure. want to play like at Petco or in San Francisco or something like that. Very pitcher friendly park. So they're talking about his uh, his dominance at Citizens Bank Park, and I'm like, all right, let's see let's see what he did over there. So I went and looked it up. He batted 161 last year. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Ah, yeah, I, that's nothing. Maybe his career, but last year he was not good there. So I mean, bottom line though, I think you know when you have warm summers, I think Philadelphia is going to be a place that he's going to be able to, you know, do really really well. Maybe a part of it too and, is their their young lineup. They got and they some got a good sluggers. team. Yeah, they got a good team. They, yeah. Um, the I will say, just kind of going through a lot. I know we have uh, our first guest. We'll get to in just a second. Going through a lot. I'll be doing a, a podcast with Scott Shapiro, our buddy, going through all of the baseball over unders. And I'm sure we'll do a big baseball preview coming up in the next few weeks before the baseball season starts. But the NL East is going to be a really competitive division this year. I don't think there's really any one team that's going to be great. This obviously helps the Phillies a little bit, but just looking at the way the teams are projected, the way that Vegas has set their over-unders for a lot of them, um, the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Mets are all going to be, and the Braves are all going to be kind of right there. And the Marlins are obviously going to likely be the team carrying the bottom. And even the NL Central is going to be much more competitive, too. So um, the, the shift, is, these teams aren't going to be as good as, I think, the Yankees, Red Sox, Astros. But the divisions will be very interesting. I think we'll have some fun races in the NL Central and in the NL East this year. So we'll, we'll get to that in the next few weeks, though. Yeah, and one more quick point about the NL East. I saw a, a tweet earlier today from your buddy uh, Brian Monzo from uh, the fan in New York, WFAN. And he was pretty disappointed that the Mets, you know, aren't even in the discussions for any of these guys. And I thought yeah. about it. I'm like, you know what? If they got one, they landed one of these guys, they'd probably be right there in sure. the mix of things. But let's shift to the National Football League. And then we'll resume with some more baseball talk and the big signing today. So let's get to it. He's been a previous guest before. He's a friend of mine, Nick Underhill from The Advocate, New Orleans. Nick in Indy. How's it going, my friend? Hey, everything's going well. Thanks for having me. Hey, Nick. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's get right to it because there was kind of a lot of news today. Obviously, in terms of the activity, there wasn't a lot of uh, you know excitement outside of bench press and things of that nature. But uh, what's kind of the buzz about Kyler Murray? I know you're a reporter for the Saints. You guys aren't looking for a quarterback right now, but just kind of what are you hearing? What are you feeling? What do you sense? Well, I mean, the Saints are, are, I think, always in the quarterback market, especially if Teddy Bridgewater goes. But I think Kyler's probably definitely too rich for them. But, look, I, I think it's really interesting with him because, you know, it does kind of relate to the Saints a little bit because they had kind of one of the pioneers of the, you know, the short quarterback movement that you're kind of seeing, you know, the league change its, its stance on that quite a bit, you know, going from Breeze to Russell Wilson, last year Baker Mayfield. You know, Kyler Murray would be the shortest one of the bunch, but, I, it's just interesting to kind of see just overall holistically just the evolution of, of the league. And I just think that, you know, the, the prototypes are changing a little bit. And I think just the way the game's being played is changing a little bit. And I, I do think, you know, the way he measured in was important for him to be at that 5'10 and not 5'9. That one inch might have been quite a difference. And, you know, but I think the weight more than anything being, I believe it was, what, 207. You know, he, he was a lot of people thought he'd be a little bit less than that, and I think the weight was the bigger concern. Everybody knew he was going to be short, but, you know, he weighed in well, and, you know, I, I just think that there are a lot more open minds now than there were 12 years ago, you know, if, if he were trying to come into the league. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, that Russell Wilson at his combine weighed in at 205, so I know he's kind of been the comp size-wise. Um, you know, I had quickly dismissed the possibility of, of the Saints going for a, a quarterback, at least in the first round, but one, one thing that you said kind of uh, rang a bell for me in my head, which is, you know, the Saints are always in the market. And you're absolutely right about that. And I guess the, the, the real question, which we were going to ask you later, is what are the Saints' needs and what are the needs that they can address through free agency and what are the needs that they can address through the draft? And the part B to that is if they don't really have any glaring holes, why not? get your future quarterback now if you found that right guy yeah if he's there for sure i, I think they'd take him last year i think if they couldn't trade it up for for marcus davenport that lamar jackson would have been the pick there at the end of the first round and then you know the the year before that they they were locked and loaded and ready to go on my homes and they got jumped by the chiefs and they ended up with Lattimore. and i you know i don't think they're crying about getting Lattimore, but missing out on my homes probably does thing a little bit but you know i think at any spot and if there was a guy they loved i, I think they would they would try to move up and, and get a quarterback. Uh, you know, as far as their needs, if Teddy goes, I, I do think that backup is one that you got to consider. You know, Freeze, Freeze is going to be 40. Um, you know, I think later in the year last year, you kind of saw him start to fade out a little bit. And I don't know if there was a concealed injury or if it was age and mileage showing a little bit. But, you know, I, I just think at that age with that roster, that, that's so good. If, if there were an injury and he were to miss three or four games, you want a guy that can keep your season afloat because this might be your last chance to, to get it done. And I think that's one of the reasons they gave up that third to get Bridgewater because they knew that they needed that expensive insurance plan. And, you know, it didn't hit and they didn't, they didn't actually apply it. But, you know, having it, you know, that, that has to be worth something. Uh, you know, as far as their needs, defensively, they, they seem pretty set. You know, defensive tackle might be one with Sheldon Rankins. He had the, uh, the Achilles surgery. And then David Onyemata had the arrest for alleged marijuana possession, so he could possibly get suspended. You know, offensively, I, I do think that there are quite a few tight ends. One, uh, Ben Watson's retiring. You know, I, I think they could use a wide receiver. Uh, if Mark Ingram leaves, running back is another one. And, 
you know, I would put tight end and wide receiver at the top of that list. Again, Breeze is getting older. They need more people around to kind of help mitigate, you know, possibly some of those issues and just help him move the ball a little bit more, which, you know, sounds crazy because they should have been in the Super Bowl. But, you know, if you're watching closely, it just wasn't the same at the end of the year. And, you know, I don't know if that's draft, trade, what, you know, uh, if Antonio Brown's actually available, I, I would be surprised if they aren't one of the three teams that have made a call on him. You know, it seems like they're just right there and they could use that one piece. And you know, if, if he's available, they don't have a lot of draft picks, but if he's out there, I, I wouldn't put it past the Saints to try to figure out a way to get that done. Nick, uh, it's been a little bit of time now since the uh, the end of the season for the Saints, since the tough loss. And when you put that on top of the way that they lost last year, it, it was just back-to-back brutal ways to have your season ended when they, there seemed like there was so much more still left How's the, the overall vibe right now? It, has it, has it, it, has the Saints fan base got a little bit better? Because it, it's got to just be frustrating the way this team has ended the last two years as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I think two years ago was a lot easier for everyone to digest because there was like a tangible event that happened that they could just wrap their heads around and okay, this guy missed a tackle and that's you know that that's why the Saints lost. And you know this year I, I don't know it's it's weird. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody in the city is ever going to get over it. Um, you know, you, you saw there in the, the Super Bowl, they had like a citywide, they call it a second line, and everybody was out there, and the, the ratings in New Orleans for the Super Bowl were comically low. And, you know, some people thought Sean Payton had a Roger Goodell clown shirt on during a press conference uh, after the season ended underneath a, you know, a quarter zip shirt. I don't know if it was or wasn't. You know, I'm just, a lot of people thought that's what it was. Um, you know, I just think that there's going to be lingering feelings and and resentment. And I think, you know, one of the more frustrating things for this team is probably going to be that it doesn't seem like there's any support to do anything about changing the replay rules to to make sure something like that doesn't happen again, which, you know, it's just kind of insane to me. I I understand there's unintended consequences and you don't want people being able to throw a challenge flag on, you know, a touchdown and have the officials go look and you can find a hold or something on every play that that's the danger of it. But, at the same time, it's insane that everybody in the world that was watching that game, except for the two or three officials that were supposed to see the play, didn't see the play and didn't see what happened. And I just, I just don't understand why there can't be just some, some level of common sense to where, you know, that just something like that doesn't happen again. I mean, it, it, it's, it's stupid to see a game I'm like that. They still should have won in overtime. Breeze through, you know, the pick. That should have been avoided. They had other chances. You know, there was a drop touchdown early. All that stuff's true, but at the same time, that shouldn't have happened, and, and they probably should have won that game. Yeah, I mean, I think until they get to the point where they have uh, an outline that everybody can agree on, I think it's going to be really difficult to change these replay rules once again to be able to include some of the more sub, uh, subjective type of, of penalties. So, uh, you know, want to shift the gears for a real quick second here in terms of bounty gates. And I'm bringing that up right now because, and I know you weren't with the Saints at that time, but uh, you've been around the team long enough and you follow the team and you obviously know that whole story. We've seen how the league can come down on front offices or head coaches, et cetera. What does your gut tell you about what the league might do with Bob Kraft? I know these are only allegations at this time, but as uh, 
you know, just as a as a spectator to all this, it looks pretty conclusive that he went into an establishment and exchanged money at the very least. So, you know, what what does your gut kind of tell you how this might play out? I'm not positive on this. I, I don't know if it's out there. Somebody was saying today, and, you know, I caught the second hand that, that he's pleading not guilty and, like, asked not to have a jury trial. Uh, that's going to be really interesting because if they deny that request, like, you know, what does he do then? I, I, does he change his plea? I don't know if he can go in the open court. They apparently have videos. Like, that would be the scariest thing for me is him is those videos getting out there somehow. So I would try to prevent that. And it's just weird to me, too. Like, the stench is already out there. This kind of seems pretty... You know, you got to stick with the word allegedly. I'm a journalist, whatever. But like, yeah, kind of seems pretty clear that something happened, and, and this stench is going to kind of stick on him for for quite a while. So, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, this seems the, the trafficking element of it kind of like you know elevates it a little bit. You, I don't know what the details are there. Like, it, it, if this place actually was trafficking or you know whatever, but it seems like there has to be a suspension uh, of some sort. You know. It's, if he was, you know, he, he's a guy that's usually pretty vocal about protecting the league and everything. And, you know, they came down hard on them with, with the deflated footballs and, and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe that's changed a little bit. But that, that's a black eye for the league. You can't have, you know, really, it's him and Jerry Jones are kind of the signature owners of the league. You can't, you can't have, have him involved in that. They, they got to do something to, and, you know, just, just all the stuff with, with, you know, domestic violence and how they've taken, you know, hits to their uh, reputation just for not taking that stuff seriously. This, this seems like something where they kind of got to maybe come down pretty hard and set an example. Yeah, I mean, the fascinating thing to me, guys, is, you know, you're talking about how the legal scenario might play, may or may not play out and wanting to have certain things come out in the open or not. But when the NFL does their investigation, do they open it up to the public? Because my very first question will be, hey, Bob, did you know that these girls are being trafficked in here for this purpose? So now knowledge now change changes the dynamic royally from the misdemeanor aspect of things to just like a social morality type issue. If he knew that that's what's happening, that these girls are forced to live in, in, in such an environment. I mean, that to me would be the kind of the crazy scenario. And I'm sure that you've got some friends still in Boston and, probably going to get the scoop as this thing kind of unfolds, but that's the thing that fascinates me. Yeah. I mean, he, he donated money to, you know, trafficking causes in the, in the past. So, I mean, like a, an ignorance thing, you know, if, if, you know, that's the big thing, if, if that is what was going on, I mean, that, that's going to be hard to, hard to explain. And, you know, ho- hopefully it wasn't, hopefully, hopefully, you know, he, he's, he's aware enough of, you know, Hey, this, this doesn't look right. And it, it's not like you said, just the morality thing. Oh, you know, hopefully it, it was somebody that, was consenting to, you know, engage in this act and not force. I mean, it, it, if it's the other way, it, it's it's a really bad look. And you just, you know, hope that it isn't that. Yeah. One last thing. What was the reaction like when uh, the news on Witten came out uh, amongst the journalists and reporters <laughs> and stuff? Was it a shock, a surprise, or like, wow, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't all that effective in the booth, so let's see what he can do back on the field again? You know, I, I my first thought was is that he probably made things a little bit easier on, on ESPN because – Ooh, man, those broadcasts were were pretty rough. You know, I, I wonder what's going to happen next. Do they, do they just kind of go with, you know, keep Booger there, or do they try to bring somebody else in, or do they clean house? But, yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I don't want to be mean to the guy. Like, this isn't – I don't say this mean-spiritedly, but, like, it, it is kind of a whim for football fans. You know, they get to watch a guy that's a pretty solid tight end instead of 
listening to a guy on Monday Night Football that was, you know, struggling. That probably would have got better, but it, it wasn't getting better quick enough. So, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity for ESPN to make that, that broadcast a lot better. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Nick, man, appreciate your time. I know you're busy. There's a lot going on. Enjoy uh, your time. And if you find out any juicy details, especially from uh, any of the agent stuff that you hear, definitely definitely let me know because I know you probably have just as many sources as I do. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nick. Absolutely, Nick. Take care, buddy. Let's take our first commercial break, G, and uh, we'll resume the conversation about Harper and all things NFL. Stay with us. We will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mikey, a little bit of a tangent uh, before we bring in Rick. I don't know if you've been paying attention at all today. It's when we record the show, it's on Thursday to the, the races at Santa Anita. But you know, there's been a lot of the negative negative stuff in the news about Santa Anita with a lot of the um, the horse deaths recently, the tra- in training and in in races and the racetrack being open and shut. And I know a lot of it has. I think there's extra races being run on the track. They're trying to do more more races with less horses. And it's not really working out well, uh, unfortunately. And, and, and today, from just a pure wagering gambling standpoint, the early pick five paid fifty four dollars 
the pick four paid 21 bucks. And right now, the pick three that was from races five, six, and seven paid uh, a total of $10. That was the first three legs of the late pick four. It's getting tough to play these races at Santa Anita right now, man. It really is. You know, I I, uh, I hadn't seen the results so far for today, but I did take a peek this morning and I looked at the field sizes alone after the scratches came in. And I mean, before the scratches, they weren't like really big either. And I was like, man, this looks like like Ferndale or one of those like really, really thin weekends at Los Al at night. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you have like a lot of fives and sixes and it's, it's, it's too bad because it, they, I thought they came out of the gate looking pretty good with yeah. the field sizes and stuff. The meat just started a, off with a bang and then... Just a uh, bummer because there's just not the numbers of horses here as there are like in Florida to do the same thing that you do at Gulfstream. It just, it, it's not going to work. There just aren't enough in California, plain and simple. Uh, there haven't no. been since for a while. And so it's sad because... It, it's going to have to cut down a day of racing. It's going to ha- they're going to have to because they're j- or the race the races in particular. I don't think it's in my opinion. I don't understand why there's ever during the week it should be eight races and then Saturday and Sunday you can have nine and on a Saturday when you have like a big day ten. I don't think you ever really need in, in, at Santa Anita in Southern California. You don't need 11, 12s. You don't need nine during the week. You don't need those extra races. It's just going to help the field sizes. It's going to be better for everyone um, because it's just nobody, you know, just from, from me, like someone selfishly who like for a while, you know, the last couple of years I was working for com- places that would sell Santa Anita selections and workouts and stuff. What ends up happening is nobody wants to bet it. Nobody wants to buy. It. It's a trickle down from all, all, all the way, you know, and it's just it, it's it's been getting real frustrating. What's your take on the uh, switch to the twenty cent pick six? Awful, miserable, just horrible. The jack out the, the jack out the, the, the <laughs> jackpot pick six is uh are just horrible. The takeout is terrible. If you're someone who plays, um, uh, the only time I ever play any one of those are on the mandatory payout days. The $2 pick six was fun. It was good. And in particular, the, the pick six like originated out here on the West Coast. And so the pick six was always a very strong wager here. You get one day carryovers a lot of times and 100,000, you know, and and then you're already having fun betting a, a $2 pick six. And what's nice is with the pick six for, you know, you'd get a nice five out of six back some days for just uh, missing one race. I, I never play the pick six anymore. And I used to play it a decent amount. I really liked playing it quite a bit. Um, I know a lot of people who who would play tickets all the time, hundred bucks to two hundred bucks, and take a nice shot, and it could be your day. You win twenty grand, and it just doesn't happen that way anymore. And they they try to trick you with the the lower percentage wager, right? Because you go, oh well, your your wager is only twenty cents. You can add so many more horses and stuff, and so in you know, it, so instead of actually a real pick six where you would be having a life changing score. Your just your takeout is just awful. It's just so it, it's horrible. I, I never ever get involved in them. So I guess I have an opinion. <laughs> okay, and that's and I think you, you you present it very rationally. It's very logical what you just said. Let me play devil's advocate though, which is a lot of people will talk about takeout, and I kind of have a little bit of a different viewpoint on it, which is if the takeout on the two dollar pick six is equivalent to the twenty cent pick six. Why do I care the problem if is I haven't played if I haven't played in three weeks and I play tomorrow? Why do I care that everybody else ponied up into that pool 
And then tomorrow's takeout, whatever it is, 24%, well, 25 well, whatever the, it the is. The problem is it's not for because you. Because I'm, I'm benefiting from the previous three weeks of buildup. But, the, but what you were going to get pay, paid back if you hit it, you're not. It's going to carry over until tomorrow unless you're the only person that hits it. On a regular pick six, if you're one of the 10 people that hit it, you guys are all taking home money. That pool doesn't carry over to the next day like the jackpot one does. So there's much more that's paid out on a $2 pick six paid out back to you, the better, than that's paid out every day on a 20 cent pick six. That That's the main difference is that if I'm just going to go in for one day and hope that, I'm, that I want to hit it, if, I'm, if there were three tickets that hit it, man, I got screwed. That cost me thousands of dollars. Because on a normal day, I would have been one of the three people splitting that pool. Instead, the big percentage of that pool carries over to the next day because nobody was a single ticket. So that's where you really get hurt. You know what is that percentage at a uh, at Anita? I mean, I, it, on the it basically like you're playing into like fifty four percent the takeout. Fifty four is ba- so like if you're if you're playing and it's not a single ticket hit, it's like a it's something in the fifties because I saw a couple people talking about it recently the other day. It's just Compared to, you know, a normal 20 in the 20, 15 to 20 percent, you know, in their 22, 23, uh, whatever that is. So that that's yeah. that's a big difference. Yeah. That, my take my take on it is I was very disappointed when I found out that Santa Anita made that decision to, yeah. to, 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 to kind of play along with everybody else because of all the reasons that you're talking about, but also like as a, as a 20 cent player, you have a lot of options anyways. There's you can play it at Golden Gate. You can play it at Gulfstream. You can play it at Charlestown. You, I mean, it's unlimited. You have plenty of chances from morning, yeah. from morning till night. You can play a 20 cent pick six at so many different or tracks, different 20 cent wagers or really small wagers at other places. So I think now, yeah, I mean, so there's plenty, but, but even if you, if you want the glory of the pick six, there's plenty of, of ways to do it on the, on the cheap. But like you said, West Coast players have always loved that two dollar pick six, and all you have to do is go across town and look at Los Al. When they get You'll a small have, carryover, like, five man, favorites and 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 one seven to two, and the thing's being thousands. When when it gets up to like twenty or thirty thousand dollars, and then people find out about it, those pools get really really big really quickly. You know? Oh yeah, and, they've been carrying over quite a bit over there, and it's it's been growing really quickly. Everybody wants to jump in and. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, I love, I love the old $2 wagers and I hope you, you made a good point with Los Alamitos in that I, I think that if you're Santa Anita right now and they won't, they'll do the opposite because they'll say, oh no, by making the wagers more expensive, we're going to lose out on some of our customers. But I think what ends up happening is the bigger players get more invested. I think you have to start thinking about moving some of these back up, back up to a dollar pick four. You can keep the pick five at fifty cents. That's fine, but the late pick four and the early pick fours should be a buck. Yeah, because I liked it when Los Al switched uh, during the daytime to a buck. To a buck the, because it just fours. you you know you see it at Los Alamitos when you you get a, a first a favorite, a second choice, a second choice, and then one horse that might be like five to one, and your thing pays very well. You know, oh yeah, and that, that's what's great is that you don't you don't need to swing for the fences as much. That's what happens with the fifty cent base. Everybody swings for the fences, and what ends up happening, Mike, is like the chalk tickets sometimes end up actually being the value. If you just played that and punched it a bunch of times, you were better off than spreading out because when you caught a price, everybody else caught the price. You yeah, know, it's really funny. So it is yeah, funny. Exactly right. No, the, at this point now, unless the field sizes are, are 10 and above with the pick 50% pick fours, unless you get a, a nice long shot in the first leg, you can expect not to get paid. 
Nothing. I mean, right now, we're looking at a late pick four sequence that is paying the longest shot in the field, who is 35 to one, is paying 330. But like all the logical horses, 29 bucks, 37 bucks. How about the six? $12.25 to the six. I mean, it, it was sad. It, it, even but even this Proctor 10 to 1 morning line, you're not even breaking a hundo. Yeah. And, and you know, you can't. Could you imagine trying to take a couple of your friends that didn't go to the track a lot? Or how about like some of my friends who like to bet a lot or they gamble, but they don't go to the races or necessarily pay attention at the races. But when we'll go, they'll come out and they can make their own plays and they know enough to know what's going on. And but so they, you know, when we would play the races before, like a pick four. Oh, my. Oh, Gino, we're live in a pick four. They're excited. They're thinking we're going to hit big money. You know, or like a pick five or a pick six, and you look at the will pays nowadays. It's like, you know, you just. I know the races aren't as difficult, but you still have to take a stand in some race and to string together four, five, and six winners still isn't easy. And you look down and you just you want to be rewarded a little bit more. It's hard to tell your friend, oh yeah, we just hit the pick four, we paid twenty nine bucks. Here's our twenty seven dollar ticket. You won two bucks. When I was <laughs> you know? living in the Bay Area, uh, when I like right when I finished up working for the Raiders, and I went, was going to law school in the heart of the city. We would leave. I'd grab a couple of friends from school and we'd go to Golden Gate, just cross the bridge, and we'd split a lot of tickets. Oh and yeah, we did really, really well. Uh, that was the days where you can expect to hit. You know, on any given card, any like nine or ten race card, you're going to have several trifectas. No joke, that are going to be a thousand or above. That was just a given. So we would split five and six horse boxes. We'd split superfectas. At that time, it was just a dollar, you know, or it was it was a dollar, not ten cents. So we'd split those tickets, uh, pick fours, etc. Now, if you and I were to go to the track, it's not even a two dollar pick six. Is there anything that we need to split, even because just to keep the cost down? I know, no, I know. Five, like that, a big, that's a the only big thing. Pick five on yeah, like that's a, the only thing on a like, big day or like the bucks. Breeders' Cup yeah. or, or Derby and Oaks Day undercards where we can each put in a, a hundred or two. You know what I mean? And make a bigger ticket that, because most of these days, it's just it's not worth it. You're never going to hit for that big. It's not worth yeah. playing that way. Period. Exactly. You know, well, and it's funny because so the, some of those same guys they would really only go with me, but they really immersed, you know, submerse themselves in it and learn how to read the racing form, and they got kind of into it. And we'd probably go two or three times a month together. Then I kind of I moved to Southern California, and like ten years later, they came down and visited me over here, and they wanted to do the same thing again. And I'm like, you're gonna be very disappointed. We we can't split a six horse trifecta box. You, yeah. you can't even play a six horse trifecta yeah. box. Uh, on a on a given Thursday, Santa Anita or Golden Gate. You well, just Mike, can't. we're all we're all, and I mean, all of just society in general. We have too much information now. Everybody's a little bit smarter, right? So in a five horse field, like you, you used to have, like in for, like everybody's got workout reports. Everybody's looking at yep. sheets, and everybody's looking at all this information now that they necessarily weren't twenty years ago or even thirty years ago. So now you you have to have bigger fields. You have to have more value to entice people. Otherwise, like how many times I look at races now and I just look at a race and I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting down like with races printed out. Like I'm going to play this pick five. I'm going to handicap this pick five or pick four. And I get two races into it and I just say no. I just I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to force it anymore. Because yeah. I'm looking at these two races and I don't love anything that's all chalk. I can't really beat these short-priced horses. I'm not, why is it worth it? It's not worth my investment, you know? 
And no, it's not. And if, if that's happening to someone like me, imagine some of the people who don't, who don't, didn't bet or don't pay attention as much as I do, and you do, and you know what I mean. Like to some of the more novice fans that the racetrack really is wanting to hook, you know, those are the people who kind of tune in for me and go, oh, two to one, two to one, two to one, eh, no way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's how that's how like that's why my buddies that don't go to the track a lot like to come to the track for the reason that you mention all the time. You can, if you can find the right races, it's nice to be, oh, hey, I can bet 10 bucks to win on a horse that's 10 to one and make a hundred bucks right there. Obviously it's not that easy, but it's fun when you have that in your head and you know what you're doing and you can kind of try to do, you know, you can make that like a, a goal of yours. Sure. Sure. So, um, did your pop, did Papa Gino ever tell you stories about when the, uh, exacta was a $5 oh, play? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So my dad has so many of those, my dad and my uncles, $5 exact is, they're like, Mike, we, we hit it and it paid 3000 It paid 3500 Your dad probably has tons of those kind of stories. Sure. My dad goes to the track right now. And even though you can multiply it by five, he's like, these exactas pay like 11 bucks, eight yeah. bucks, 18, 22. You I mean, even the, connect them with long shots, Gino. I saw one. I mean, there's so many, but just the one the other day was like eight to one over, I think like an 18 to one and it barely cleared a hundred bucks. I'm like, how? How how is that the case? That would be the play that would that my dad played five dollar exacto that'd pay three thousand probably. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just ridiculous there's when, just when so it's coming back. Combinations. There's so yeah. few combinations, and there's so many like computer p- players and systems now too that like they're looking at the probables, you know, and if they're too high, they're hitting them. Yep, they're hitting them. They're punching them. So that way, they they are saying, oh, that's a little overvalue. Boom. So it's just it's a lot harder now. And it is. You have to be very selective about which you do, tracks and, you play. And that's what's frustrating as being a fan when with with me, and that's why I do get frustrated at the things like the, the takeout getting hiked, um, and I, I want to be treated a little bit better from the racetracks as a fan because man, it's so hard. Like I'm, I'm going to invest all my time, all my money, and it's so hard to win. Like, give me a little bit more in in the sense of. Uh, a little bit more of some sort of a, a rebate, you know, not having to pay to get in and pay for past performances and, and things like that. Like, give me a little more incentive, especially nowadays, Mike, when everything's legal to bet on now. You know, you, you got a lot of competition now with other every every day. There's a new site popping up with with, you know, props and with this and with fantasy and this and that. So, you know, I I. I hope that they could. They just try to make some changes. You know, I the really racetracks do. are doing everything in their power to make my predictions to you look like Jack. You know what? You know, standing about, still. You know about you know that this is going to benefit the racing. They've done nothing to be able to capitalize. I've heard of nothing. I suspect that there's nothing in the fold. Shame on them. They have well, a great opportunity in their hands, I, and they're not going to take advantage. I was handicapping them and not you. You know, like you, if you were in charge. You would try a few things. Even if they didn't work, you sure got to try them. You know, you got to throw some things against the wall and see what sticks and try to get some people out there, you know, now and lure them before, you know, and instead it's just kind of same thing, raising the prices instead of lowering the prices, not really like going full blast. There are a couple sites. I will give them like our buddy Scott Shapiro, like the Bet America's doing their best to try to, you know, um, get a lot of sports out there, a lot of sports content out there. Um, some, some, not everybody, like it, it, some places are trying to doing their best to, to change it. But as you had mentioned, the racetracks in particular have such a built-in advantage and we just haven't seen much from them. 
No, not 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 nothing to have any substantial impact or any impact at all. Gino, let's take our next commercial and we'll get back to NFL Combine Talk since this was the NFL Combine show. Stay with us and we will be back in a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel do you love sports talk can't get enough sports talk have we got a show for you it's about the nfl training camps super bowl previews a look at the new starting quarterbacks and weekly key injuries we'll take your calls and emails right on the air former philadelphia eagle james loving is your host and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. And Mike, you, uh, you were talking a little bit with... Nick about this earlier, but I think you have a pretty unique perspective on this particular uh, situation. Uh, I want to talk about the Jason Witten experience and what happened. Uh, Jason Witten, really good tight end, all-time great tight end for the Dallas Cowboys, retired, and he was on Monday Night Football as part of a three-man booth. And uh, if you just look up on on Twitter, you can see they were not very well received. And uh, I, I, you know, got to be honest, they just weren't great. And in, it was coming in uh, the time when Tony Romo is like awesome and predicting everything and like coming off as one of the better broadcasters ever. But I had heard some comments that Jason Witten had made where he had basically said, ah, I didn't realize that many people hated me. And uh, and it was kind of <laughs> like he was like overwhelmed by the, the response that he was getting, the negative response, which it's so funny that you could be a football player, get booed in how many stadiums forever, especially a Dallas Cowboys football player, because everywhere you go, you're getting booed like crazy. You know, everybody loves to hate you. And 
the TV experience was just a little too much for him. You, you've kind of been someone who recently was someone who had just a great sports background and obviously sports knowledge as, as much as anyone, but you had never really done a whole lot of broadcasting before this show. So talk to us a little bit, like what was that, what's that been like for you? Yeah. I mean, it, here's first of all, there's nothing in life that's as easy as it looks. Sure. That's, you know, that's a great There's point. so that's... many different things that people will watch and say, I could do that. Whether it be even like making, you know, shooting uh, NBA free throws at 90%. How many of your buddies have been like, oh, I could at least do that. You, you know what I mean? 30%. There's nothing that you could yeah. see on TV that's as easy as it looks or here on the radio that's easy as it looks. Very, very difficult to transition to anything. And before I talk about myself, let me just quickly say, uh, looks like that even money favorites winning at Santa Anita. Twelve bucks the picture. Jeez, jeez, that's ugly. <laughs> that's ugly. I, I turned it on once you you kind of I brought mean, it up. It, how many people bet that? I mean, won money on that pick four. Like, so you had to have bet either a twelve dollar ticket or less. So you're betting either an eight, a nine, a six, a four, or two. Like, there's so few people that yeah. make money on that pick four. It just Exactly. And um, even the ones that were like begging and praying, they're like, hey, maybe this race on turf, you could have some closers. Nope. <laughs> nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> nothing. Wow. Mario just turned everybody back like, yeah. oh, see ya. Put them all to sleep. Oh, oh. Um, so <laughs> back, back to kind of the Witten thing, um, what, what I'll say is this. It's not just Tony Romo. You have Aikman as the lead guy for Fox. You have Michael Irvin is probably one of the lead guys on on multiple channels, including NFL Network. Yep. Moose Johnson, fullback, former Cowboy, uh, is is maybe I think the number two over at, at Fox, right? I mean, and then Tony Romo, of course. So you have this long line of Cowboys guys who are really successful in the broadcast booth, really, really well liked. He's thinking that he's just going to you know, I've got the knowledge. I'm going to be an analyst. So all I have to do is talk about what I've been what's doing for the last and what's know, happening in front of me. 15 yeah. years professionally and, and what's happening right in front of me and talk about it, kind of unfold and break it down. But obviously it's not that simple. Nothing is as easy as it looks like I've said five times now. And I think he's discovered that the hard way I discovered that myself. I mean, remember back in the days when you had to do like a speech in class. Sure. Oh yeah. You know, and, and the teacher says five minutes and you you know, you get to like minute number three and you're like, Oh oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm 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 done. I've said everything. Yeah. You know? So for me, I think the timing of an hour show was the most difficult part. And I'm still struggling with it. I still try to, you know, get it and be able to spend enough time on it, but not put people to sleep. And then also not be rushed with the things that we want to talk about and find that there's eight minutes left in the show and I haven't even covered half of what I want to talk about. Many things of of that nature. Also, sometimes thoughts come into your head and it's really hard to, you know, kind of fluidly get them out and stuff like that. And I noticed that Witten had some of those issues. And you're getting talked to, you know what I mean? Like you're other things that people don't realize, too. You're getting talked to in your ear sometimes. You're yep. getting directions from producers, directors, from whatever. You're getting, you know, information. Here's what's the graphics coming up. Here's what's coming up next. This person's on the line. This one's that, right? So just like you said, as you're thinking, you're getting. So it's just one of those things where it's just, yeah, it's there's a lot more to it than what meets the eye. Yeah, and you know one other thing that I've kind of noticed, not just with Witten, but in the last like six months for whatever reason, whether it's like Stephen A. Smith and during football season there was. 
I would probably be able to remember three or four. It's kind of escaping me right now, but Witten and Stephen A. definitely come to mind about the kind of like the the need to project that you know everything. Sure. Right. And we saw that with Stephen A. when he was talking about, oh yeah, that guy's having a great season, like the Chargers tight end who had been on the, on IR the whole season. Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh yeah. He's like, Sometimes I think it's okay to say less I is have more out of that team. Yeah, less is right? more. Less know? is more. You just know, don't oh, open yourself up for the criticism if it's not there, you know? Sure. Um, I it, mean, look, if you're if you're Stephen A. And, and, and you're, first of all, you're mainly like a basketball guy. You're doing a, a sports variety show, kind of like we are. I don't think anybody in the world expects that you or I are going to know everything about every hockey team, no, basketball team, no. baseball team, football. It's okay not to. And I, and I felt that there's a lot of guys that are out there that are kind of at the highest level that feel... It's easy. It's better to, to do like BS with authority, sure, than to be yeah. accurate. You know, and I hate, and, I um, hate that because you know, there's so many experts of everything, right? Like for everything nowadays, you can find an expert for all of it. Just let the people who really know, and that's what what I like. What we do here is like we'll tell you right away. And and for me, like in particular, yearly with sports, it's kind of it's cyclical unless in your unless you're less covering something like for your job you know so if it's sure. teams you root for some years you watch this sport more than others or, sure. or this a little bit less than that or this so like we'll do our best is like this year like USC hasn't been good i haven't been watching a whole lot of college basketball i haven't been you know it's just i i watch a lot of nba basketball uh, i watched a, a ton of football that's going on and i just haven't been watching a ton of of college basketball and so when we want to talk college basketball you know we can bring in Caleb, Scott Shapiro, Dan, people who watch all the games every night, and they can give us their insight along with some of our thoughts as well. But I just, I, I'm, you know, I'm watching Stephen A, and he's doing like UFC stuff, and he's talking about the Lakers, and he's saying things that are like just when you give an opinion, that's one thing, that's fine. I don't like this player, or I don't think this guy will do this, or I don't think he or she will do this. But you can't give facts that are wrong. That's where I no. just get. That's where I get frustrated as a fan and as someone who also kind of does it too. Because it's all it is is, don't stay out of it if you don't know it. But if you're gonna talk about it, you better have done the work. You better have watched a game. You know, you know, like don't talk about this game that you didn't watch. It's so blatantly obvious you didn't watch it. He was talking last week. I sent it to my buddy from Ohio State about the Ohio State quarterback, and Stephen A. said something about how he thinks he's just going to be a runner at the next level. And my buddy from Ohio State was, I was like, laughing at that. he was the slowest player on our team. He's not, he's not a runner. He's, he can't move. Like, they make fun of him for being immobile. You know, like, he's a pure drop back passer type. And so to to have that analysis, it's frustrating to me because if you get the, like, it, it, Stephen A. Smith had to have gotten the rundown for that the night before, right? I mean, like, the night before, they're telling you, okay, tomorrow uh, we're going to be talking about this, this, and this. Here are the topics we're going to talk about. So he's got to look at that and go, oh, I haven't watched any Ohio State games. You know how how long it would take to watch the film of just the offense of, like, three Ohio State games? What, 30 minutes? 40 minutes? You're fast-forwarding through anything that happens on defense and the commercials. You're literally just watching half the guy drop back every time and, and watching him just so you've got a little bit of idea. And that, that's what's frustrating is that a lot of them just kind of – when you get to a certain point, you think, well, I've got enough clout. It doesn't matter. But people people know when you're wrong. They do. They're yeah. going to come after you, you know? They do. 
And uh, one more kind of thing on like broadcasting slash journalism. One of my big pet peeves lately are all these articles that come out and all they do is quote like tweets and Twitter. And to me, that's not an article and that's not journalism. There's no nothing. Yeah. That's just lazy. But hey, let's get back to the combine because we only have a few minutes left here. And I want to throw out who I find to be very intriguing prospects. I'm going to be glued to the TV when these guys perform. Not that I'm that high on the combine, but I'm just kind of interested to see if they came into this thing in ridiculous good shape, looking like professionals, because that's what this is all about anyways. Not a lot of people even realize that they think that everything's about the 40 and the numbers and stuff. More than anything, you've been coached and everything's been on a schedule when you're in college, when you're going to eat, sleep, work out, you know, lift weights, uh, practices, film study, study hall. All that kind of stuff is on a schedule. But now you're suddenly on your own. You have nobody to tell Tell you what what to do do and when to do it. So this is just as much about, hey, when he's a pro, when he's here with the L.A. Rams and he has all this downtime, how is he going to be able to handle himself as a pro? These last three months at least are your first glimpses, your first indicator as to how somebody's going to be as a pro. So it's it's uh, to me, that's the, the fascinating thing. That's why the interviews are so important. But quickly throw out a few names for any hardcore college football or NFL fans. Look out for these guys. I think these are guys that you want on your team. I'll quickly zip through them and then we'll spend more time talking about them next week with Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible. LSU's Greedy Williams. I think if your team needs somebody in the secondary, he could be that guy. I love Ed, excuse me, Ed Oliver, D lineman from Houston. By the way, this this draft is all about D lineman and edge rushers. If your team has a need, there are plenty of edge rushers and D lineman top to bottom. Uh, the next one is also one of those edge rusher, Cleland Farrell from Clemson. He dominated in that championship game. And then the other one is somebody that actually Rick kind of put us on to a few months back, which is Duke's quarterback, Daniel Jones. Another one of those David Sutcliffe coached up quarterback so let's see how those guys do gee that to me those are the the kind of the intrigue guys that i think could come in and make hey, man, an immediate think about, impact think about the impact from all of the last year in particular the, the quarterbacks wow i mean they all i mean everybody had their moments baker looked very good darnold mm-hmm. has a, a struggled a little bit early but then he looked very good late we saw what lamar jackson did when he came in and how he was able to lead them into the playoffs um, yep. Rosen, they Josh spoke, Allen had some. Oh, Josh Allen saying, had some he was the one yep. that I was the most wrong about. I thought he yeah. was going to be nothing, and he's mobile. He can move. I, I mean, I'll, I'll take the L on that one right now, man. He's already better than I thought. So, yeah, you and I both. Yeah, it will be fun to see both. how these, uh, how these draftees will impact immediately, and we'll, we'll be able to talk to Rick, and we'll, uh, we'll get more in depth next week because then we'll have a week more of information to, uh, to really talk about and see who's been rising and who's been falling. Exactly. And I'll leave you guys on this note, which is they say that the top rated quarterback from this draft would be the fifth or sixth rated guy last year. So time will tell. We'll see. They're they're not so bullish as they were in last year's group. But who knows? Maybe this group turns out to be better. Nonetheless, enjoy the NFL Combine, everyone. Enjoy your sports weekend. We'll see you guys next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. 
Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.